Hello, hello everyone. How are we all? Cooked? Did someone say cooked? Yeah. That was an interesting thing to yell out. Yeah, I get it, I get it. I'm going to pray before we start. Father God, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks that you reveal yourself to us through it. And Lord, we thank you that we have all we need to know you in your word. Father, I pray that you help me to speak faithfully now and that our hearts and lives may be changed by what you have to say to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as has been said, we're continuing our series, Resolute, going through Luke's gospel, following Jesus' journey to Jerusalem where he's going to die for our sins, where he's going to face judgment so that many may be saved. And as he's going there along the way, what he's doing is is he's teaching to those he comes across about God's plan for salvation. And when we come to chapter 15, in this part of Jesus' teaching on his journey to Jerusalem, he focuses in on and emphasizes the love of God in his plan for salvation. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we come to probably one of, if not the most famous story that Jesus tells, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. But it's important to know that this parable, it's situated in a series of parables that Jesus tells in response to a statement made by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the first two verses of chapter 15, which I'm going to read out now. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's in response to this comment from the Pharisees that Jesus tells three parables. The first two, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, are very similar in structure. There's like a lost possession or item, a search, it's found, they celebrate, and then Jesus has a line about rejoicing when a repentant sinner, when a sinner repents. And then we come to the parable of the prodigal son, our parable tonight. And as we go through it tonight, I want to treat it a little bit like a play with four acts, right? And the title of the play is The Love of the Father. You've got Act 1, Give Me My Money. Act 2, Hitting Rock Bottom. Act 3, Open Arms. And Act 4, Different son, same father. I'm going to jump straight into Act 1. Give me my money. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Right from the beginning, we're introduced to three main characters, a father and his two sons, or a man and his two sons. And after that, we're straight into the action. The younger son comes up to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And it's very easy to just keep reading and not kind of focus in or slow down on this bit. But we need to appreciate the audacity of what the uh, the, the son is doing here. At that time, the way inheritance kind of worked was the eldest son would receive the largest portion of the inheritance when their father died. And every son younger than that would get a smaller and smaller portion. 
So in these guys' case, two sons, two-thirds goes to the older son, one-third will go to the younger son. So the younger son's saying, give me my one-third. The key thing is that he's meant to get it when the dad dies. So he's asking for it early. He's basically making a statement to say, I don't care about your life. Some people want to say maybe like the son's really wishing that his father would die. I don't think we're meant to kind of read that into it. He just does not care about his father. He wants his money and he wants it now. And how does the father respond? The way Luke writes, I feel like the father thinks this is a non-issue. He's just like, yeah, whatever. He seems like a bit of a pushover. He just divides the, the property. Here you go. You know, he's well within his rights to kind of whip him into line and go, no, you can't ask for this. You've got to wait till I die for this. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to, repr- I'm going to reprimand you. At least I'm going to question why you're doing this. But he doesn't do any of that. He just divides the property, gives his son the one-third, gives him his share. And so what I think we're seeing here is the very nature of sin and how God responds to it. God responds to our sin. Luke uses two different words to talk about property here. He uses one when, with, the, with the son. It's this impersonal word that just means the possessions. It just means the property. And then when the father, it's used with the father, it's talking about a word that means life. To the son, this is just a pile of material possessions that is what he wants. Constantly until either a treat comes or the door is open or something like that. And the earliest I've been woken up is 3.30 a.m. by these dogs. This was the other day. I was like, this is good because it makes this story sound so much better. But it sucks because I'm awake at 3.30. But it literally kind of saps the life out of you for the next 24 hours because you've probably gone to bed after you come home from youth group and it's like 5 a.m. and this dog's barking and you're like, oh my goodness. But the thing is, right, little Banjo does not care one bit about the life she is taking from Marin and I. We'll go out there and we'll be like, Banjo, shut up, stop it. Go to your bed, do whatever. We'll say stuff, we'll yell. The next morning, what's Banjo doing at 5 a.m.? Barking. This is the nature of sin. God is hurt far more by our sin than we realize. And we act like a dumb dog and we keep barking every morning. We reject God as our Father. We want to take his good gifts and squander them by living the way we want and getting out of life whatever we want to get out of it. And God's response is to hand it over, to hand us over to our own desires. If that's what you want, have it. The son takes the money, he takes his inheritance, the father hands it over without a fight. God doesn't demand loyalty. He doesn't force loyalty out of us. If we decide to reject him, he hands us over. You know, it might seem like our sin is just us having fun, doing what we want, it's good. But to the Father, he has skin in the game. He's given away part of his family. It's a much bigger loss to God than what it seems to us. I think we ought to appreciate the kind of devastation that Luke is establishing here so we can understand the devastating impact our sin has. The impact that is created when we turn our backs on God. So that's the end of Act 1. The father gives over his inheritance. 
And we're kind of left with the question, what's going to happen now? What is the son going to do with the wealth he has just gained? Act 2, hitting rock bottom. I'm going to start reading from verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I think the picture that Luke's trying to create here is he's got his share and he's kind of frantically trying to get everything together so he can go out and start living it up. Right? You can imagine, he's got his property, so I'm going to sell it, find, the, find an easy sell, get all the money and get all my stuff that I've got together and get out and go to this, this distant country. And then he arrives in this land and we're told he squanders his wealth in wild living. Within one verse, the younger son has left for a distant land and lost everything, spent it all in wild living. Wealth he wasn't even meant to have at this stage of his life. And then we are told that after, after he spent everything, a famine comes. The famine is not the cause of the son's misfortune. He has squandered his wealth. He has spent everything. He has got himself into this situation. He is responsible for his own misfortune, which eventually we see becomes utterly hopeless. But now that the famine has come, the younger son has nothing left. He's in need. He can't help himself. And so in what initially when I read this, seemingly like a noble thing to do is he kind of goes and hires himself out. Maybe you could just say he goes and gets himself a job. But to the Jewish audience that's going to be listening to Jesus telling this parable, he's not simply getting a job. He's actually clinging to a non-Jewish citizen out of utter desperation. You could say he's binding himself to a non-Jewish person because he's so desperate. And this non-Jewish person sends him out to the unclean pigs, to the Jews, the lowest of animals, and it's his job to feed them. And it gets worse. He's in such great need. He's so hungry that he longs for the food of swine. But it gets worse. No one will give him any. The pigs are better off than our younger son, or than this younger son. He has literally hit rock bottom. He has nothing. His situation is utterly hopeless. And he is responsible for it. Have you had those moments in your life where you just have nowhere else to turn? When Marin and I were in Peru, this isn't quite as drastic, but when we were in Peru, we had done a tour to Machu Picchu and we'd requested that we could stay for a longer day than what the tour was doing so we could spend more time up at the site. They were like, yep, 
and the guy who was running our tour texted us one word, a name. I think it was Carlos. And he's like, find the clutches of death. He needs to turn where? Back to his father. He thinks to himself, those in my father's farm who are servants, they have food to spare. And here I am starving to death in verse 17. So the youngest son kind of gets himself together, makes a plan. He's going to go to his father. He's not going to beg. He's not going to complain. He's going to admit and acknowledge his sin before the father. This is the speech. This is like his rehearsal speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He finally realizes what he's done. So he's preparing himself to go back to his father, acknowledges his sin, prepares his short speech, and he gets himself up and sets out to go back. And that's the end of Act 2. Then we come straight to Act 3. We need to find out how the father's going to respond. Act 3, open arms. Verses 20 to 24. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. While he was still far away. This is heaps more significant, I think, than what might come across at face value. The word that gets translated here is the exact same word as where the son went when he ran away to squander his wealth, that distant land. I think Luke, does, he doesn't want to just give the impression that the father's like looking off into the horizon and trying to wait hopefully for his son. I think he wants to paint the picture. The father goes to the distant land. The father is not a waiting father hoping for the return of his son. No, he's a seeking and searching man looking for this lost son, wanting to bring him home. And then he sees him and he's filled with compassion, and he just wraps his arms around him, open arms, embraces his son, kisses him. And then we come to verse 21, and we know these words because we were there for the rehearsal speech, right? He kind of bust, gets his courage ready. All right, here we go. Father starts his speech, but then he's interrupted. He only gets two out of three lines in. Now the father, he's like, no, I'm turning to my servant. He's like, quick, go get the robe, go get the ring, get the sandals on his feet. Let's celebrate. My son's back. The line that the son misses out saying is, make me like one of your hired servants. I think Luke is intentionally missing out on this line. Because the reader, we expect that. We expect him to get all three lines out. It's not a long speech. But instead, the father interrupts and he commands the servants to go and get things that all symbolize and signify honor or renewal into the family. Luke's saying, this guy, this son, isn't even have their food. 
figure it out. The son makes a decision. He's hit the lowest point in his life, probably the lowest point you could get. And he makes a decision in that space to go home, to acknowledge his sin, to acknowledge his unworthiness. But at the very same time, the father has gone to this distant country, distant land, with open arms to bring him back into the family. Is that the picture of repentance that you have? It's not making yourself right before God. It's not ticking a box of confession or listing off to God all the things that day that you've done wrong and hoping that your slate is going to be made clean. No, this parable shows us the very nature of repentance. Realizing your sin and unworthiness and at the very same time being met by the open arms of the Father who has come to bring you back into his family. So as you come before God in repentance, do confess your sin. Do ask for forgiveness. Do turn away from your sin. Do try to put it to death. But do not forget the spiritual reality of the open arms of the Father who's come to meet you in your sin and bring you back into his family. That's the beautiful nature of repentance that Luke is painting in this parable. And what do they do? They celebrate. It's the only fitting response to think of a father who would come and meet us in our sin. It's celebration. You could almost end our play here, right? It's a pretty good ending. I'd be happy. I'd stand up, you know, standing ovation, happy days. But no, there is a final act. There's two sons. We've only met one of them. So act four, a different son, but the same father. Let's read verses 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So the first time we meet our older brother, he's in the field, he's doing his duty, Fulfilling his role as a son, right? And he's on his way back and he hears the music and he hears the dancing. And he asks the servant, what's going on in the house? The servant says, your brother's returned. And, he's fa- and your father has killed the fattened calf for him. And they're celebrating. And he's angry. He's livid. And he wants no part in that celebration. We meet the second son, fulfilling his duty. He's an insider. He's part of the family. He's doing what he's meant to do. But when his brother comes back, when this outsider comes back, the older son cannot join in. The insider is outside. 
He's not understanding what it means to be a part of this family. A different situation, a different brother. But we will see the same response from the father. He goes out. Just like he went out for his younger son, he goes out for his older son. And he pleads. You can kind of just imagine him going, this desperation, please, son, come in. Your brother, he's back. How good is this? He's been gone for so long, but he's back. We're celebrating. Come, eat some of the fattened calf. It's going to be awesome. Celebrate with us. This is the love of the Father. This is the love of God on display. Don't overlook this. We get this picture constantly of God's love throughout this parable. That is what this parable is about, the love of the Father. It's a love that doesn't hesitate but goes and searches. It's a love that doesn't hesitate but goes out and pleads, come in. We see this love more clearly in the cross of Christ than anywhere else. God came to us. God took on flesh. Fully God fully man in the person of Jesus Christ. In his life, the perfect son. In his death, the perfect sacrifice, a lamb without blemish. In his resurrection and his ascension, he's the perfect victor and ruler, Jesus, the only way to the Father. Jesus, the only way back into God's family. The love of the Father is on display more in the cross of Christ and his work than anywhere else as he comes to save. But our parable, it's not quite over. The oldest son, he responds to his father's pleading, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. The oldest son kind of tries to make his own case of why he's all good. And in the, in the same time, he's accusing the father. Father, look what I've done. Look how I served you. Look how I've obeyed you. But you never did anything like this for me. Nothing like what you're doing for this squanderer, this son of yours, who wastes his money on prostitutes. The older son believes he deserves more because of his obedience, because of his loyalty. Where is my goat? (laughs) Sounds ridiculous when you say it like that, eh? Where is my celebration with my friends? Look at all my effort. It's important to remember who Jesus is responding to, I think, at this point. The Pharisees, who were disgusted that Jesus is surrounded by sinners. You can imagine them in their bitterness saying, you know, we deserve, we are more deserving of God's love. So if Jesus is really worth anything, he wouldn't be hanging out with them. He'd be hanging out with us. These guys are disobedient. They're the squanderers. They're unworthy. If Jesus was worth anything, he wouldn't be hanging out with them. He'd be hanging out with us. But Jesus is trying to show them that the love of the Father, the love of God, extends to the sinner. In fact, heaven rejoices. 
A celebration happens when a sinner repents because they are brought back into God's family. And I think this really comes out in the response, which is the end of our play. The response of the father to his older son. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. The older son is already in the family. The older son already has what is his father's. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I identify with the Pharisee. Man, I identify with the oldest son. If you want to say to God, look at all I do for you, God. Look at my life. Look at my work. Look at my obedience. I want to say to you, stop it. You are in the family. What God has is yours. The reward in heaven is coming for you. The eternal dwelling with the Father is heading your way. God has seen the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit in your life. You are in the family. That's what the Father is trying to say to the older son. And he says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, this brother of yours, do you remember what the older son called his brother? He said to his father, this son of yours. He's dissociating, he's separating himself from his own brother. And I think the father is challenging that idea. He's not just my son, he's your brother. And he's back. He was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. The relationship that was broken between father and son is not the only broken relationship. Our sin breaks the relationship with each other, siblings. And this father's trying to say, He's back. Your relationship can be restored. I've brought him back into the family. This brother of yours is alive. He is found. Come and celebrate. And the play ends. We don't know what the older son's going to do. Will he come back in? Or is he going to forfeit what he already has? Well, whichever son you are, or that whichever son you might identify with. If you're the one, the younger one, that's running away and you don't give a stuff or care for God at all, repent of your sin. Turn back to God, the Father who comes to the distant land with his open arms. And know that there's going to be a celebration when he brings you back. Or if you're the oldest son who's relying on their works and you're bitter about the open arms of God, Realize this, you are gaining a brother or a sister. So come in and celebrate. Jesus has done the work. Come in and celebrate. We all ought to remember the love of the Father in the work of salvation. That's what this parable is all about. So our response, like in every parable should be to rejoice and be glad alongside our Father who rejoices and is glad when a sinner repents. Let's pray. Father, help us all to rejoice and be glad when one person repents of their sin and turns back to you, when you go to that distant country in our sin and you meet us and you bring us home. 
Thank you so much that you meet us there. Thank you so much for this beautiful picture we have of repentance, Lord. And I pray for those in this room who, who might not know you yet, who might still be running off in that distant land. I pray that they come and that they turn and that they see you there with your arms open, ready to bring you back into your family. Lord, help us to rejoice and celebrate because you save and your love demonstrates that. Amen.